All right, church, would you stand with me? We're here this morning to declare that our identity is in Jesus. Who am I that the highest thing would love
good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. If you're new to me, I'm new to you. My name is David Hurtado, one of the pastors around here. If you're online with us, special welcome to you as well. If you're on the patio right now, whether you're indoors, outdoors, wherever you are, just glad you're with us. Maybe you're watching this week, catching up because you had a business trip or something like that. Welcome to you. Or maybe you had a friend who invited you and you're checking us out online for the first time just to see what we're all about. You're welcome as well. I do this thing afterwards where I'll be on the patio uh, and trying to meet people that I haven't seen before. Some of you guys have been here for a couple of years and I still haven't had a chance to meet you. So make sure you come along by and say hello. Uh, we've been in a series in 1 Corinthians almost a year now, and we're almost done with it. We're almost done with the, uh, the, uh, the, the letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to dive in that today again and keep on going. But before we dive into that, I kind of want to start this morning by just saying that every household has their, uh, you know, their favorite fast food restaurant. Uh, uh, you know, for some of us, it's McDonald's, the Golden Arches, and I know there's a sentiment out there that like, you know, McDonald's is bad for you, and it probably is, and it's, and it's horrible, it's, you know, and, and you don't like it, you never go. Is there anybody like that in here? You're lying. You're lying. I know what you do at 12 o'clock in the morning when nobody's watching. You go there and get those amazing fries. That's what you do, right? And so some of us, it's McDonald's because we like the Big Mac, right? And some of us, it's Burger King because we like the Whopper, you know? Everybody has like their favorite fast food joint. In fact, you're online right now. You can type in right now what your fast food joint is, a preference. Uh, and if you're in the room, sorry, you, you don't get to play. Uh, and, and out car, I was getting in and out. Of course, there is a third option called in and out. The double double is uh, is pretty popular with in and out. Uh, you know, um, in and out guarantees that your meat was mooing three days ago. Did you know that? So uh, your cow that you're now eating was alive three days ago at in and out burgers. They guarantee that. They don't believe in frozen meat, and so they. Uh, they in fact, I used to know a guy who was. Uh, who was the uh, manager at the local one that I was at in Northern California. And he says, we don't even believe in fast food. We believe in quality food fast. And I was like, whatever, dude, same thing. You know, you know, you know? And, and I mean, they don't, even fr- they don't even freeze, they don't freeze their potatoes. You know what I mean? It's like fresh potatoes. Everything has to be fresh, right? One time I went in there and he was like, let me show you something. And he took the bag of the buns and he opened it up and he took the buns and he went like this and he smashed them together and made it into a ball. And he put it on the counter. He goes, let's, all right, let's keep on talking. Watch what happens in 15 minutes. And uh, we kept on talking. And 15 minutes later, it's back to a regular bun. It would look like, like, a, like a regular hammer bun. And I guess he was trying to show me that that's, look, look how fresh it is. And I'm thinking, is there just like, like nuclear material in there? Is there radiation involved when I eat your burger? Or, you know? and, and so some people like McDonald's. Some people, I actually like Burger King's Whopper more than I like McDonald's Big Mac, but I just like everything else at McDonald's that they do over everything else Burger King does, like McDonald's filet fish and their French fries and their chicken nuggets. All that stuff is better than whatever. Uh, um, you know, if, they, if, they could, if you could like, if you could like hodgepodge them, like I want to get a, a, a Whopper at, 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 at BK and then go over to McDonald's and get fries. Somebody should make an app where you could do that, and I would order it. That'd be really interesting. Anyway, so you got that, and you got you got In-N-Out burgers, and then there's some people. They're rare, but there are some people who prefer Wendy's. Are you here in the room, Wendy's lovers? I had one last hour. Uh, oh, I see one in the back. Yeah, see, it's very rare. Uh, but uh, there are, oh, another one, Wendy's, yeah. So, you know, Wendy's has an interesting story. Le- Wendy's, they were late to the game. 
don't know if you know this, but when the burger craze hit America, Wendy's was late. So uh, they were uh, having to figure out how do we steal market share for more established restaurant uh, concepts like, uh, you know, Whoppers, you know, at Burger King and Big Macs at at, at McDonald's. And so they had to be really innovative along the way so they can steal some market share. Uh, one of the things they did, I don't know if you know this, but they, they were the first to establish a double drive-through window. So you go to one drive-through window and you pay, second drive-through window, and you get your food and that, you know, moves along the line a little faster. Wendy's apparently was the first one to do that. The first people to do a, a drive-through apparently was, uh, was In-N-Out Burgers because they had such a line. That's why they went to that. So anyway, uh, they, they had to be more innovative. And, and Mr. Wendy thought, you know what I'll do? I'll change things and I'll make a square patty. And the reason he went to a square patty is because when you put a square patty in, in the middle of a bun, it makes it seem like there's more burger. It's just like, oh, it's spilling over the cheese and the, and the meats. You know, are we all getting hungry? Uh, you know, it's like spilling over. And, and so a square patty on a round bun makes it look bigger. And so the whole idea was Americans will want uh, what is bigger is better. And so Americans will want it. And so we'll take pictures accordingly. And they'll think our, bigger, our burgers are bigger. Then he doubled down on that. So I'm going to make the patties actually thicker. Uh, a lot thicker than like what you get at McDonald's, right? I'm going to make the patties thicker, and then I'm going to take the pictures on a square piece of a patty and, and a, a round bun, and it'll look bigger, and Americans will want it. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll introduce the world's first monstrosity burger, two patties, double thickness, and cheese. If you do a quarter turn on each patty, and then you put it in a round bun, it'll look even more like it's falling over. It's so huge. What's interesting about this is nobody bought it. Uh, Americans at the time, this is like 1960s, 1970s, Americans were like, you know what, there's no way I'll ever put that monstrosity of burger in my hand. It's way too gaudy of an option, and I won't, that's just too much for any human being to actually eat, and so I'll just do a single patty. I won't do a second uh, patty, so no double cheese. So here he's trying to steal market share away from like the Burger Kings and the McDonald's of the world, and nobody's eating his double, his double uh, sandwich, his double patty sandwich, double thickness sandwich. Then he did something that was kind of a counterintuitive. Like, like you wouldn't think this is what he would do. You wouldn't think that this would be his strategy. But he introduced a three triple burger into the market. He got, so if two pieces of meat and two cheeses on a square patty on a round bun wasn't going to work, he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll introduce a triple cheeseburger. And guess what happened? If Americans thought the two double cheeseburger was way too gaudy for any one person to eat, what do you think they thought about the triple? Like literally nobody bought the triple. Like not one was sold in all the United States. Although somebody came to me in between services and told me, yeah, I've eaten a triple before. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, I, you know, I, not one triple was sold. But you know what happened to the doubles the day that he introduced the triple? They started selling like gangbusters. And it was, it was like, why does this happen? Why all of a sudden, counterintuitively, you introduce a triple and now people are buying the double burger. Why does it happen? Well, it's the classic case of adding a third option that pushes you to the second option. Well, now what happened is when they go to this, they go, oh, that's the gaudy option, triple. Nobody in the world should ever eat that. But this double is quite sensible. <laughs> and in the rationale of the American mind, uh, we started eating double uh, double cheeseburgers at Wendy's. Now, I bet that most of you have been to Wendy's and you've seen that troll burger. You never had one, but you probably have had a double, haven't you, little devil? 
I know you have. And I bring that up because it's, it's interesting how a small deviation, a small change can have such a big impact. All he did was introduce a third concept that wasn't going to sell, but it drove people to buy the second concept, and he stole market share away from uh, the other uh, burger conglomerates, and that's why we have Mendy's today. You're welcome. Uh, a small deviation can have a huge impact. Now, some people think that's a positive impact, and some people think that's a negative impact, like the day that we sold our collective souls to the fast food gods. Um, whatever. Don't be a killjoy. Double cheeseburgers are amazing. Uh, you know, but the idea is, regardless, small deviation, small change can have huge impact. Today, similarly, our passage is going to highlight how small deviations theologically can have huge impact spiritually. Because as it relates to the items that seem to be foundational to our faith, how significant are these small deviations that we take? Like, isn't morality like the most important tenet of our worldview or any religious worldview? If that is the case, then how important is theology anyway? Eh, if we take a little deviation theologically, what's the big deal? What's the danger of small deviations and where could it possibly lead us? That's what we're going to be today. And I encourage you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you get to the Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at verses 29 through 34 today. A short section, but a lot packed in it. Uh, we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and chapter 15's all been all about the resurrection. There seems to be something that's happened to the church in Corinth where they, when Paul came originally and said Christ was God in a human shell, died on the cross for your sin, on the third day he was resurrected, and if you believe in him, you can have salvation and uh, uh, be able to participate with him in the afterlife. They received that hook, line, and sinker at one point, but somewhere along the way, there's something got twisted, and now they're starting to disbelieve some things of that story. One of the things that they're starting to disbelieve is, did he really rise from the dead? And are we really going to rise from the dead? I mean, how essential is that in this story? Something of that nature is going on, and Paul is targeting that little divergent path of theology and bringing it out the ramifications of what that would mean for them and for us. And so today we're going to look at how does one's view on the resurrection or, or on resurrection theology affect every lay life? How does one's view on resurrection theology affect everyday life? And the first thing we're going to see is if you're not careful, it can lead you to, towards self-indulgence. It can drive you towards self-indulgence. Just, just a little deviant path over here can actually lead you to a place you would never imagine, to where you're practicing self-indulgence rather than a life centered on God. Let's look at verses 29 through 30. It says this. Otherwise, what do people mean by baptized by being baptized on behalf of the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Wow. Why, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every day I die. What do I have to gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts in Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow, we die. 
How does one's view on resurrection theology affect everyday life? Well, if you're not careful, this is what he leads us towards in the end. It can drive you towards self-indulgence. He's kind of setting up a parameter here where he's going to kind of argue a couple things that leads to a certain conclusion. And, and, and he starts off this argument with two rhetorical questions. The first one is, if there's no resurrection, then why are people being baptized for dead people? The second question is, and if there's no resurrection, why am I constantly risking my life for this thing? Let's start with the first one, and then we'll get to the second one. The, uh, why are people baptizing themselves for dead people? Now, this is a very difficult passage. Uh, it's very kind of falls in line with the, first, the rest of First Corinthians, which had dealt with a lot of difficulty uh, in that church, we've dealt with 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is hard. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Paul does not seem to want to dodge any hard items. And here he's diving into another one. Seems to indicate that there were some people who were adopting the practice of they themselves baptizing themselves for people who are dead. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Were they thinking that would bring salvation to them? Was it a salvific kind of activity. And to be quite honest with you, this is what our Mormon friends get in trouble for or are criticized for. They do baptize for the dead. In fact, they've committed to baptizing for every individual who died in the Holocaust, to which Israel has said, please stop, we're not Mormon. We don't want you to baptize us or baptize for the dead in that sense. It does seem to be something going on here that's irregular to the rest of Scripture. Like we don't see this uh, promoted in the rest of Scripture of something to do. It is something that maybe was done, but it's not something that's advocated for. It's important to notice here that Paul doesn't say, I do this, or you should do this. He's just using the argument, why are some people doing this if there's no resurrection? Simplest reading of the text seems to be the best, so it does seem to indicate that they were, in fact, some people in the first century were baptizing themselves for people that passed away. Some people think that maybe this is, uh, maybe there was a loved one who had just received Christ on their deathbed and didn't have the opportunity to get baptized. And so some family members said, because we knew you would have done it, we got baptized for you. Uh, um, maybe that, something like that was going on. Uh, whatever what was going on, what was not going on is a baptismal regeneration, which is the idea that baptism is what saves you. That's just not biblical. Paul would not agree with that idea. He writes against it all the time. Baptism is not something like, I get into this water, therefore I'm a Christian. That's not how it works. Baptism is simply an outward presentation of what's going on in my heart already. Something that's happened in the past when I came to faith in Christ, that's when I was regenerated spiritually. I was baptized into the body of Christ. Now when I get in these waters, I am just saying, yes, this happened. I'm going public with it. An outward manifestation of an inward reality. And so he's kind of pointing out to them uh, that you guys are doing this and your logic doesn't make sense. Uh, today we're going to do some baptisms, I hope. But I want you to know that, that there's nothing special about this tank. Like, we didn't pray over it. There's nothing mystical about it. You don't get saved once you get in the tank. If you were in the tank at once, you're saved. And if you never got in the tank, you're not saved. It doesn't work that way. 
That's just regular water. I told the first hour there's no chlorine in it. There actually is chlorine in it. And, uh, and I thought it was funny, but apparently the first hour I didn't think it was funny because nobody got baptized. And so uh, there is chlorine in the water, you know. But I'm just telling you, we didn't put the water in there to clean you. It's not there to clean you physically. It's not there to clean you spiritually. It is there as a symbol of what has already happened, meaning I was cleaned in Christ. So when I get baptized, I'm associating myself and identifying myself with Christ, all right? Christ came to earth, he died, went into the earth, and he was resurrected to new life. I, as a believer, die to myself, go underwater, and I have been resurrected to new life, not because of these waters, because of what Christ did in me at the point that I believed in him. That's regeneration happens there. That's where I'm baptized into Christ. This is just a physical manifestation of that. So if you come on up today and decide that you want, today's your day, and you want to get baptized, understand the water is clean, uh, you know, and if bacteria would stop you, then that's not real Jesus-loving anyway. But anyway, the point is it is chlorinated water. It is warm. But, the, but none of that is, what matters here is it's you're saying, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. Let the world know I'm a Christian. Jesus Christ said, go into all the world, baptize in my name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a twofold imperative. Imperative on us to go preach the gospel that others should come to know Christ to be baptized. And it's an imperative on those who are listeners. When I place my faith in Christ, I must now follow the command of Jesus to get baptized. But not because the water cleanses me, not because it cleanses me physically, and not because it cleanses me spiritually, because it doesn't. It just is a way of saying, I'm identifying myself with Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of him, just like he hasn't been ashamed of me in my sin. He just cleaned it for me. It's all symbolic. So he's saying to them in, in a very interesting way, he's going, you guys have this practice, or there's people in the first century that have this practice where they're baptizing people for dead people. If there's no resurrection, then why do that? If there's no resurrection to an afterlife, then why do you have this practice, this weird practice, anti-biblical practice, of baptizing yourselves for individuals that already passed away? If there's no afterlife and, and they're just annihilated and they're done, then why baptize yourself for it? It doesn't even make sense. He's not saying, I'm validating this practice. He's just using that practice to make his point to say that this makes no logical sense if there's no resurrection of the dead. I find it to be very much like what he did on Acts 17. If you want to write down in your journal today, go back and read it this week. In Acts 17, Paul was at Mars Hill, and he was there at a temple where they had all these statues to all these different gods. It was a very polytheistic society, and so they had all these different gods, and, and they worshipped all the gods, and they were so scared. What if there's a god out there that we didn't worship, and then he gets mad at us, and he comes and gets us, and so we want to worship all the different gods. And so they had a god there, a statue to the unknown god. Acts 17, go look it up. Uh, unknown god. And, and, and it was as if to say, in case we missed one, we're going to worship that one too. And Paul comes in and he says, oh, you have a statue of the unknown God. I know him. I'd like to introduce you to him. What Paul wasn't doing was saying, I'm validating polytheism. No, he was just using their current um, uh, practice to lead them to Christ. Here in 1 Corinthians, he's using their current practice, it's not even biblical, to just point out, why in the world would you do this? If there's no resurrection, it doesn't even make sense. They're, they're not going to rise again to another life, so why would you baptize yourself for them? Is his first argument. His second argument is about himself. There are people out there that do this. 
Now let me tell you what I do. I've been constantly risking my life every day. Let's go back to verse 30, where it says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought beast in Ephesus if the dead are not raised? What is he saying? Why am I putting myself out there every day for this thing? Why am I in danger every hour? Why do I feel like I'm literally dying every day? He's using a superlative. Why am I fighting the beasts of Ephesus? Very unlikely that Paul was ever in a, in a uh, um, coliseum with lions because of his Roman citizenship probably didn't happen. He would have the trump card to get out of that situation. But he's saying metaphorically, figuratively, I feel like I'm in fight, fighting the beast every day. I'm in danger every hour. I feel like I'm dying daily. The only thing that I have out of this is you guys. Like I come on the scene, I give the gospel to you, you guys come to Jesus Christ, and now you're switching what you believe. Even so, I'm so happy to have been on this road and this path, if nothing less, to get the inheritance of you. But even that, I don't boast in myself. I boast in Jesus Christ because whatever happened there, God did through me. That's what he's saying. Why am I dying every day? Why am I risking my life? If there's no afterlife, there isn't a resurrection that leads to an afterlife. If there is no afterlife, then it makes no sense for me to have suffered what I have suffered. And we know through Christian history that he will die a martyr's death. It makes no sense for a martyr to die a martyr's death if there's no resurrection and there is no afterlife. You might as well leave, live your best life now, which is where he gets us to in that last verse in 32. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If that really is the case, and there's no resurrection of the dead. And you guys need to stop baptizing yourselves for the dead people. And I need to stop risking my life every day for you guys. We should just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. We should just live hedonistically because there's nothing coming after this thing. There's nothing else to look forward to. There's nothing else to live for. Now, what he does in that one line is nothing short of masterful. It's nothing short of genius. And I hope you'll geek out with me a little bit on this because it's really, really interesting. What he's doing there is he's using one little line that he knows is both going to lead people to the societal value of their day and yet a biblical text as well. He's using the same line to do both. Uh, let's just eat and drink for we die tomorrow would be the societal value of the day. It also would be uh, a quote of the Old Testament. And it's masterful what he's doing. He's like, he's killing two birds with one stone. The Stoic and Epicurean philosophy of the day was the value of the day was that life is short, let's get drunk. It's not quite unlike our value of today either. You could call us very Epicurean, very Stoic in philosophy, very uh, Greek Hellenistic in our mindset. Uh, uh, life is short, let's get drunk was the value of the day. And so he says, let's drink and eat and be merry for tomorrow we die. There's nothing to look forward to. Might as well appease your inner appetites. Might as well appease every inner urge. Hellenistic thought was that hedonism was the chief end of man. Enjoy yourself. Don't allow yourself to deprive 
yourself of any pleasure. Live for the moment. Pursue pleasure. Avoid pain. Don't limit yourself in any pleasure. The only immorality would be to rob yourself of pleasure. There's no inner appetite or inner urge that should be restrained. Get some is the idea. What he's saying is if there's no resurrection to an afterlife, then the Stoics, the Greek Stoics, and the Epicureans were right. Just live it up. There's nothing coming after anyway. And why live a pious and moral life if there's nothing after this thing? The interesting thing about this is the same idea is quoted in uh, Isaiah chapter 22 verbatim. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Contextually, it's a little different, but it comes from the scriptures as well. So he's hitting the, the Greek Stoics of the day and their philosophy and their uh, uh, kind of their slogan and their adage. And at the same time, he's quoting, quoting scripture. Here's what was happening in Isaiah 22. Ironically, uh, written in the Bible, almost verbatim, it says that Israel was being punished by God when they were surrounded by the Assyrian army on all sides because they had left their God. And so in this place, they're, they're surrounded by the Assyrian army. They have one of two choices. They can turn back to God and repent and say, I'm sorry, God, we deserve this. Come and rescue us. Or they can just live in the situation. They, instead of repenting and turning back to God, you know what they do? They say, you know what? Well, we're going to die tomorrow. We might as well eat and drink today. That's literally their response. Rather than turn back to God, well, if we're going to die tomorrow, let's have a party tonight. What he's saying is if, the if there's no resurrection to the afterlife, then unrepentant Israel was right. You might as well live it up. There's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing to look forward to. This is why a small deviation on just, oh, do we, do we really need the resurrection? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I don't know. Are we really going to rise from the dead one? I don't know. What matters is you live morally. What matters is you live good. That's what all faith systems bring you to. Every religious faith system just brings you to morality, and that's the good piece. And he's saying, listen, if there is no resurrection to an afterlife, there's no reason to live good. It actually will lead you to self-indulgence when you take that one small deviation. I can indulge in my own desires because there's nothing else to come. Well, if self-indulgence isn't the answer, then maybe sobriety is. Maybe sobriety is. How does one's view on resurrection theology affect everyday life? Well, one, it can drive you to self-indulgence, or it can do the opposite. It can actually drive you to sobriety. It would be the opposite of self-indulgence. It can drive you to sobriety. Let's look at verses 33 and 34. It'll be on the screens. It says this. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have, knowledge, have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. How does one's view on resurrection theology affect everyday life? Well, it can drive you to sobriety if it doesn't drive you to self-indulgence. If you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and you don't deviate from that path, it actually drive you to sobriety. There is something to come. And that's something to come is a lot better than whatever he got right now. And so I want to live piously. I want to devote myself. I want to live morally for the Lord. What we have here is a, a chiastic structure, which is like an ABA structure. And what he says is bad company corrupts good character or good morals. 
Uh, he's talking about those who are, who are not believing anymore in the resurrection. They're the bad company. They're corrupting your good character, your good morals. If you listen to them, hang out with them more, uh, enough, you're going to see yourself deviate even further. B, wake up from your stupor. And then back to A, for some have no knowledge of God. Who is he talking about? Those who have left and said, no longer do I believe in a resurrection. Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the dead. I don't know. Are we going to rise? I don't know. They're the ones who have no knowledge of God. And I say this to their shame because you've traded in the most important part of your faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. ABA structure, a chiastic structure. And what you need to know about chiastic structures is the emphasis is always what's in the middle. It's like the Oreo cookie, the best parts of the middle. And so the middle part is wake up. It's an imperative. The literal idea is become sober. Sober up. What he's saying is stop acting like you're drunk. This whole idea that all of a sudden you don't believe in the resurrection. Are you dumb? Wake up from your stupor. Stop acting drunk. So obviously he has to rise from the dead or we can't rise from the dead. He has to rise from the dead or our sin is not taken care of. In the name of finding harmony with secular and societal values, you've sold out your faith. That's what he's telling them. Hey, the resurrection, what's really important is that you're moral. I'm not sure if he was risen from the dead. I'm not sure if we'll be risen from the dead. Really, we just need to live morally. In the name of trying to cater to societal values, you've sold out your faith. You sold out the entire gospel. You falsified your entire faith. Why? Because if there is no resurrection, then Christ wasn't resurrected. If Christ wasn't resurrected, then he can't be God because God can't be dead. And if Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead, then we're still dead in our sin with no hope of victory over sin. Christ's resurrection is what proves that he defeated death and sin for us. If he didn't rise from the dead, then you got no hope. Oh, does it really matter? Yes, it clearly very much matters. Very much matters. Smaller deviations today can become larger divergences tomorrow. Smaller deviations today can become larger divergences tomorrow. In fact, it's our big idea. Smaller deviations today, you know, it's, it's a small change in my theology. It's a small idea that I just took a little bit of a divergent path. Smaller deviations today can become Large divergences tomorrow. But pastor, I just want more people to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we cater the message to them, then they'll want it more. But I'm just telling you, that might be a wonderful heart to begin with. But that smaller deviation today will become a larger divergence tomorrow. Be careful about that. Well, this past week, I was with uh, about five of our pastors on our team. We went to Whittier, uh, California, um, the president of our association, I've mentioned before that we're part of this association called Converge. We don't like to call it a denomination because we're certainly autonomous. They, we don't take our marching orders. We are an autonomous church. But we do believe we're better together with the, a family of churches that are like-minded. And so we are part of this association called Converge. And the president of our association is Scott Rideout. And he flew out from Florida just to meet with us pastors from L.A. And so we took five of our team. There's about 40 of us, you know, from representing the greater Los Angeles area. And we met at this church, and, and he was trying to kind of encourage us, um, uh, encourage us to stay in the fight that we call ministry. And, and I don't know if you know this, but I guess 60% of all pastors either retired early in the last couple of years because of this COVID 
stuff or they've left the ministry entirely because of all the difficult, uh, the difficult season of dealing with COVID and the emails you get on whether you do this or whether you do that, you know, mask, no mask, vaccination, no vaccination, you know, six foot, six inches, whatever it is. Um, you know, that's been, you know, something to deal with for sure. And, and while I haven't felt the urge to leave, like a lot, a lot of us have, I suppose, uh, it's a real thing. And, and a lot of people have been uh, moving aside from ministry. Um, by the way, if you have a disappointment on the way we've handled COVID, um, you can always email us at junk at campcc.net. No, I'm just kidding. Your, your opinion matters. Just send it to Kenny. He loves that stuff. Um, so anyway, I, I, Scott Wright, I was trying to encourage us to stay in the game. Stay in the game. I know a lot of you guys are leaving. You're probably feeling like you want to leave. I'm like, I don't really want to leave, but whatever. Uh, stay in the game. Stay in the game. And, he said, and he decided to give us an illustration from a couple years prior to COVID. Because I know you guys are going through a lot with this whole COVID thing and dealing with it. Let me give you an illustration before COVID was even on the scene. Do you guys remember ISIS going through the Middle East? Uh, you remember that whole thing? They were going to town to town, country by country, just taking over. I, he said, I was on the phone calls with some pastors, uh, Christians in the Middle East, asking them, hey, what are you dealing with? What's going on? He goes, oh yeah, ISIS is on their way. We understand if ISIS takes over, not if, when ISIS takes over, if they take us over like they have taken other areas over, what they'll do is they'll give us a certain day of the week that we can go get our groceries. Uh, if there's 10 miles between us and the nearest grocery store, we'll pick a certain day and certain time. We'll travel there and there'll be 10 checkpoints along the way. 10 checkpoints getting to the grocery store, 10 checkpoints going home from the grocery store. At each checkpoint, they'll try to sift out and find out where the Christians are. If and when they find the Christians, they'll kill them right there on the middle of the streets. And after they kill them and leave their bodies in the middle of the streets, he said, our families won't bury us because of the shame that we brought on the family by defecting from the Muslim faith. They won't even bury us. And so Scott's like, wow. So are you going to stay or are you going to go? Are you going to run to another country? Are you going to flee? He goes, oh, no, we're staying right here. We're staying right here with our people. We're staying here with our land and with our church. He says, what are you going to do? He goes, oh, we're, we're, we're starting a capital campaign. It's like a capital campaign? Your church is starting. You're just trying to raise funds right now. He's like, yeah. He goes, well, are you going to build a building and say, hey, ISIS, this is where we're at? I mean, how smart is that? He goes, no, no, no. We're not raising money in a capital campaign to build a building. We're raising money in a capital campaign to buy our own cemetery. Because the fact of the matter is ISIS is coming, and they will find us. And when they find us, they will kill us. And when they kill us, our families won't bury us. And so when that happens, we want to be able to bury ourselves. We're raising money for our own graves. What's most humbling about that is I think to myself as he's talking, I'd have been on the first bus out of town. And this guy goes, no, we're going to stay. We're staying with our church. We're just going to prepare so that the day that they do kill us and they place us in the grave, we'll have a place to go. We'll be able to take care of our own. It's the same attitude that the disciples had in the book of Acts when they would be beaten and flogged for their faith and they would go home rejoicing and worshiping God. Can you believe this? We got to suffer just like Jesus suffered for us. You counted us worthy to suffer like Jesus suffered. Thank you. Thank you so much. This kind of mentality this kind of ideology only makes sense if one day there's going to be a resurrection from the dead 
to an afterlife to where we can say, oh, we're, we're living for something else. You can take my body, but you can't take my soul. <laughs> you understand? You're going to kill me and place me in the grave, but God's going to resurrect me one day, and then I'm going to live for an eternity. I might get 80 to 100 years on this earth if I'm lucky, but I'm telling you, there's a day over there that I'm going to live with eternity with God that's going to be so much better than this place. That's what I'm living for. And that's why I don't care if you beat me up, if you kill me. I, it doesn't bother me because I will be resurrected one day and I will see him face to face and I will live in the afterlife. It only makes sense if the resurrection is true. Otherwise, you might as just live it up for today. Do you know in the days of old, in our history, the old Negro spiritual slaves would sing to themselves in the middle of their day. Have you ever thought about the songs they sing to just get themselves through another day? Swing low, sweet chariot, always written in a minor chord as they deal with the anguish of their heart. Coming forth to carry me home. This is a horrible existence, but it's not my home. One day, one sweet day, my God will come and take me home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Whatever this world brings and whatever negativity comes on my existence on this earth, I wasn't meant for this place anyway. It's another place I'm headed. I'm going to be resurrected to a new life and an afterlife. I want to tell you something. Eternity is going to be better than your house, your second house, your, 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 your timeshare, your boat, your RV, better than all of it combined. To where we can say, I'm not looking for what I have on this earth or what I can get on this earth. I'm looking forward to another place. It'd be so much better than anything I've seen on this earth. So whether you come in town and take away our religious liberties and even persecute me and even kill me, I can still say you can take my body, but you can't take my soul. I, wanna, I gotta show you this. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. St. Paul, writing to the same church, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says this. For we do not want you to become unaware, unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not upon ourselves, but God who raises the dead? How do we endure all this? I'll tell you how we endure all it. It doesn't end this way. It doesn't end this way. No matter what they do to my body, one day I'll be resurrected from the dead and I will see an afterlife. You see, if Christ really did rise from the dead, then his resurrection is a first fruits, a deposit of sorts on our own resurrection. You can take our bodies, you can't take our souls. Does it really matter if Christ rose from the dead? Yes, it matters. Yes, it's the foundation of our faith. There's no resurrection for him, there's no resurrection from us. Be careful what you're willing to trade in theologically to appease those who have secular values. Be careful what you're willing to trade in theological to appease societal values. Smaller deviations today become large divergences tomorrow. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, there is some otherworldliness 
in the Bible. You, you got these people who get beat up, get killed for, for the faith, and they don't care. They worship you and are elated about it. They find joy in it. You got guys who are willing to say, bring it on, ISIS. You can find me. You can kill me. Destroy my body. Well, we'll buy our own cemetery. But you got to understand one thing. One day I'll be resurrected from the dead, and I won't remain in that grave forever. It's not the end, this earth. It's not the end. We live for something outside of this world. Father, it's humbling to think of those examples to feel like we don't measure up. But the truth is, we have the foundation and faith to measure up to that. Because the truth is, Christ did die. He was buried. He was resurrected. And it was a deposit on what will happen to us. And when we grab hold of that truth and really believe it, we won't be scared of anything in this world. We'll truly be living outside of this world. Help us do it. In the name of your son, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, you know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he defeated death. He defeated sin. He made a way for us to join him and, and have eternal security with him. If you want to be part of the resurrection, like Pastor David was talking about, and have your eternity secured and um, become a Christian, maybe you're here today visiting, watching online, just checking this thing out. Um, maybe God's drawing you today, and you're not here by accident. Um, and you can become a Christian simply by accepting his offer to forgive you, by turning away from this sin in your life, accepting Jesus' forgiveness for those sins, um, and begin to follow him. Put him on the throne. Put him as the number one person in your life. If you're ready to do that, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and accept his offer to be part of his family, you can do that today. There's people in the lobby who would love to talk you through that, to pray with you. We have a Bible if you don't have one. If you're joining us online, uh, you can go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps at the top of the page. And there's a way there that you can fill out a little form and we'll get back to you and, and walk this journey with you. We'd really love to do that. Well, we've got an exciting morning, and before we get up to head back to the baptisms and worship, just want to receive our offering. We do that to honor God and to uh, be faithful to what the Scriptures ask us to do. It's how all the ministry here at CAMCC supported. All the money that goes out to missions and other things comes through the faithful donation of God's people through you guys, through your obedience to Christ and, and what His uh, Word asks us to do. So you can do that in three different ways. Uh, you can give online on our website, campcc.net. Just click Give. Um, you can text any amount you want to donate to 84321. Or if you want to write a check, there's an offering box in the lobby that you can drop that in or mail it if you're at home. Okay, so baptism. David said a little bit about it. Baptism symbolic. It's symbolic of the washing away of our sinful life and being raised again to new life. It's symbolic of being of dying with Christ as you go down into the water and being buried with Christ in the water and being raised to new life with him. Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. It's a demonstration that you're already a Christian. It's a public pronouncement where you're going to say before everyone here in this room and everyone watching online that um, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ, and I want you all to know it. Um, we do it because we were following Christ's example. He was baptized. We do it because we're following Christ's command. In the Great Commission, he says uh, to be baptized. So there's those two things. You may be wondering, when do I do it? Maybe I just accepted Christ today. I just prayed and I accepted Christ. When should I do it? You don't have to have your life together. You don't have to wait till you achieve some 
um, certain mark. In Acts 1.8, it says that those that believed were baptized that day. Uh, so there's water here. Why not be baptized? So we have some people, I believe, who are prepared to be baptized today. They came um, with that in mind. And if that's you and you're in the room, you can come over here by Pam and then uh, you can go get ready to go. Uh, there may be someone else here who did not come with the idea that you're getting baptized, but you feel like God drawing you and today's the day. If that's the case, then you can also get up right now and go over to Pam or get up during worship and go over there. We have everything you would need. We have clothes to change into. We have towels, all that stuff. So um, if you're feeling led that, yes, today's the day, um, just go right on over out those doors and we can accommodate that. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your son, for our salvation, and for this opportunity to for baptism today. I pray for those who are going to be baptized, Lord, that this is a time where they can just proclaim and pronounce their faith in you, um, and that um, you would receive that, Lord, as worship. I pray for the time of worship as well. Thank you for the opportunity to come here and sing your praises. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's declare these truths.
my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested in my life
Joey Maubacher, and I'm part of the Meals Ministry, and I help out with the kiddos in the Iwana Ministry here at CAMCC. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for checking us out. We want to put face to a name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with the connection card that you received today. Or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at CAMCC. Tuesday, June 14th, Worship Night. Come join us for a dynamic night of worship, prayer, and scripture. Invite your friends and family to join you from 7 to 8 p.m. It's going to be a powerful night. Also on Tuesday, June 14th, Kids, PJs, and Popcorn Night. Birth all the way up to third grade. Come in your pajamas for a praise party and all-you-can-eat popcorn while your parents are at the worship night. For more information, please check out our website at campcc.net. June 19th through 24th, Friathon High School Camp. Incoming freshmen to graduated seniors. It's called Friathon because you will fry. It will be hot, but this extreme water sports camp will be the best week of your summer. Register today at camcc.net slash Friathon. The purpose of this summer camp is to invite non-believers to hang out in an environment where they will hear the gospel. If you would like to support that by providing a scholarship to a high schooler who does not know Jesus, please email Zach at camcc.net. Important dates coming up, so make sure to save the date and check out the upcoming events at campcc.net. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th through 8th. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Before we're going to do the send-off, we're going to ask for everyone that was baptized to please come back up on stage. We're just going to send a prayer over everyone. So we're going to come up on the stage over here. And if congregation, you're comfortable, outreach those hands. We're going to show them our love and outreach um, just over them. And this awesome declaration of public that they have given their life to Christ and they want everyone to know. And that's a scary thing to do, but we're so glad that they did. All right. Dear God, thank you so much for these, these individuals up here on the stage and this, the commitment that they've made to you and to everyone here at this church in front of all of us, that they've given their life to you and they're, they're going to say it and that they've said it to the world and that we as their church community know that we're going to wrap them around with love and guidance and protection to just grow alongside our family. And thank you, God, for just this change that you've made in their lives to make it evident and that we know that the evil one is going to go after them, but you can protect and that you were the grace and the love and the protection, God, and we are so glad to be in your presence this morning. In your name, amen. And now the rest of you guys can stand up for send-off. So Pastor Dave, thank you so much for that great message. I don't know where he went. Pastor Dave, thank you so much for that great message about our foundational truths and how we don't want to be swayed, and the resurrection is the biggest foundation of our faith. And so we just want to remember that. If it's your first, second, or third time here at KMCC, please go to our welcome counter over here on the left-hand side. We have some gifts for you. Or if you're online, go to kmcc.net slash next steps and fill out that digital connection card. Also, next week is Father's Day. So bring a friend, a colleague, a dad, brother. Bring them all here. We want to have them. And we're going to have a special gift for all those dads. Have a great week, everyone.